If you've got a Bible, we're going to finish up Exodus 7 tonight. This is our third week in this chapter. Normally, we don't go so slow through these chapters, but this specific text is pretty pivotal, pretty foundational, uh, not just for Exodus, but for the whole Bible. Um, this is a very a super important framing chapter, if you will. Um, by framing, I mean it kind of sets the tone for what God is up to, and not only what God is, was up to in Exodus, in the days of Moses, in the days of ancient Egypt, and, and what was going on that we're all very familiar of, but this really kind of sets the tone and really frames how God is active and present in the world. Um, we can see ourselves in these, in these uh, characters. Uh, we can find ourselves in Moses and Aaron. God forbid we find ourselves in Pharaoh, but that that may be something we may learn that we have more in common with them than we want to admit, but uh, hopefully we uh, can find some help if we do. Uh, but we can find ourselves in these people's lot, in their shoes, going through what they're going through, facing what they faced. And we also can understand the way that God dealt with the world then is very similar to how that God deals with the world now. Maybe not any different at all. Um, so again, a super important framing device for the whole Bible. Um, this chapter is one that I hope that you go to and turn to in reference. I hope you can turn to to these studies that we've had and reference them. Um, We already know uh, the who, the where, and the when when it comes to the story of Exodus, and those are really kind of put on even greater display um, and in greater focus in this chapter. Uh, We know that the who is ancient Israel um, and the Egyptian empire. More specifically, we know that the who is Moses and Aaron versus Pharaoh. It's Yahweh versus the Egyptian pantheon of gods, right? Only one of those is the one true God, but of course the ancient world. Um, Yahweh was brand new to them, even to the people of Israel. They, many of them had only heard legends of Abraham's God, and now they were seeing and experiencing him for themselves. But we know that the who is Moses and Aaron against Pharaoh. The where is not only um, Egypt, but it's the palace of Pharaoh as Moses and Pharaoh come face to face in these um, very epic and famous encounters um, in the throne room by the Nile and other places. Uh, We know that the win is, uh, as we've detailed the the history that we've studied um, as Israel has been slaves um, to Egypt for 400 years. Um, This is around 1200 or so BC, give or take a few decades, um, just being being kind of uh, uh, um, basic with my uh, my years there. But around 1200, about 200 or so years before David and Solomon would have lived is when this all took place. Um, But in chapter 7, we get some insight on the why, like why is all this happening, um, and we understand what the what and the how, and those are all important questions to ask when you're reading any book or any chapter of the Bible, especially. Uh, we look for the who, the where, the when. Uh, we look for the why is this happening, what is happening, and how is it taking place, and we learn a lot from this chapter alone. Um, a couple weeks ago, we studied the why. And if you'll remember, verse number five of chapter seven is really um, an answer to the question why, not just for this episode of history, but for all episodes of history. Um, Chapter seven, verse five, you'll you'll recall that the the scripture says, um, 
and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So God is explaining to Pharaoh, explaining to Moses and Aaron and in the, in the Israelites, why is this happening? Why is all this taking place? Why is Pharaoh going to resist you? Why am I going to work these wonders? It's so that, so that the Egyptians will know who I am. And, and we discussed this a few weeks ago that really you can understand all of world history and we can understand God's activity in the world today in that under that same through that same lens under that same banner that everything transpires so that we may know right what is God up to why did this happen why does that happen what is God allowing this to happen for or why am I going through the ultimate answer to that question it may not be what we are looking for it may not always bring you know answer the little questions but ultimately big picture wise it's so that we may know that there is a God who is alive, who is active, who is present, who is working through even the smallest of details to the biggest of scenarios. You can follow that breadcrumb trail throughout the New Testament, throughout history. And last time we talked about the what and the how. The what is that Aaron and Moses are facing off against Pharaoh. And how they are going to face Pharaoh is by demonstrating or by God demonstrating his power through them. And we saw and we learned. And I hope that we all took courage last time uh, by knowing that we or that God in excruciating circumstances, God can work extraordinary wonders through ordinary people of which Moses was an ordinary man, right? He was just a shepherd, but God took an outcast shepherd with an ordinary shepherd's tool and he turned him into a powerful prophet. And he told Moses to pick up a staff that was used to lead sheep. And that staff became the staff of God, transformed for the work and wonder of the Lord and, and we looked and we learned how how for Moses an ordinary staff forged an extraordinary path that changed the whole world and changed our world. We, we our worlds are different because of what happened uh, through Moses' obedience. And and maybe the most amazing thing about the path is that it led Moses to Pharaoh. And Mo, Pharaoh didn't know that it was just a shepherd's staff. He knew and he felt the raw, unfiltered power of God that was worked through Moses and that simple staff. But it's Pharaoh's response that makes this story so important. And it's Pharaoh's response that we're going to spend most of our time talking about tonight. Um, Pharaoh doesn't respond to these wonders with faith. And we all know how the story goes, but uh, just to kind of remind, to fill us in if we haven't read this story in a while, um, in verse number 13 of chapter 7, it says that Pharaoh's response to that initial wonder and all the subsequent wonders, uh, to, to just kind of clue you in where this is going, it says that Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, Moses and Aaron. He did not heed what God was showing him or what God was telling him. And just as God said he wouldn't, he didn't. Verse 14, So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. And why is his heart hard? It's in the, after the colon there. He refuses to let the people go. So why is Pharaoh's heart getting hard? He is not obeying God, right? His heart is getting hard because he is not listening to God. He is not obeying God. He is not believing or trusting in God. 
Now, Pharaoh doesn't place faith in Yahweh as the one true God. He doesn't even acknowledge him as a God at all, right? Earlier he said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Scoffing at the idea that this God existed that he didn't know about, that he wasn't uh, acquainted with. And, And I want to spend a few minutes paying close attention to what happens as a result of Pharaoh's rejection. Because this is very important for us, and and maybe this might not apply to us tonight or what we're going through, but no doubt it may explain some things around us, but I'm sure it can also speak to us in our own scenarios. But clearly, verse 13 and 14 tell us that Pharaoh's heart grew hard because he rejected the Lord. Now, Pharaoh's heart was hardened because he did not listen to God he did not obey God. Now that seems pretty simple, but I, I want to dig, dig, dig into that and really camp out around this idea about a heart that grows hard and how dangerous of a place this is to be and how we all have been there and we all might be there and none of us are, good, are so good that we might not get there one day. Instead of humbling to and trusting in God's word and work, Pharaoh turned away from God and his heart was hardened. So notice the, the, compare, the contrast there. He should have humbled himself to God, correct? He should have trusted in God, but rather he turned from God and his heart was hardened. Now, now know this. Nobody, and this is so important, no one sets out to harden their heart. When, when, we, when someone disagrees with someone, or when someone disagrees with God, more importantly, no one says, well, you know what? I want to have a hard heart. So I'm just going to disobey and reject and disregard anything that God says because I really want to have a hard heart. Nobody signs up for that. Right? We don't think that disobeying or ignoring or rejecting is going to lead to a hard heart. We just think we'll just get by with ignoring it. Right? But nobody wants a hard heart. Pharaoh didn't want to have a hard heart. He thought it wouldn't affect him because he didn't think this God was even real. But even us that know that there is a one true God, even us that know who Jesus is, we don't neglect or reject or disobey because we want a hard heart. No one does that. No one's that foolish. It's a dangerous place to be, of course. Pharaoh didn't say, I'm going to reject Yahweh, because I want, I really want to have a heart that is just a heart of the rock. Nobody wants that. No one says that, but that's exactly what happened to him and what happens to anybody. Under, underscore, underlying that in your head. That's what happens to anybody who rejects God and His will. Whether we realize it or not, there is a way that seems right to us. But the end thereof is always some kind of death, some kind of brokenness. Let me ask you this, and maybe you're asking me this. Can a Christian's heart be hardened? Absolutely, right? Can a believer's heart grow hard? Absolutely, it can happen to anybody. Now, I I don't think that a devoted follower of Jesus is ever going to defiantly reject the Lord, but I I might be surprised, and we might be surprised in what we might would do ourselves, right? But come on, we know if we're open to God's Word, if we know we're listening and trusting and obeying and accepting, we know whether or not we are sincere in our devotion to Jesus, don't we? We know what our hearts are up to. Whether it's, we know if we're just putting on a show or whether we're really struggling or walking the line. And, and, and the reality of this text, of this scenario, it makes clear to us, if we reject God... 
If we reject God's Word, we risk hardening our hearts. And you may say, well, you know, you're making, you know what is the big deal? Why is it such a, such a big thing? Uh, why is there such a big risk in having a hard heart? And, 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 and I hope we all know the risk there. But if we tune out from, if we shut out, if we turn from, that's all in line of rejecting. Any form, any pattern, any decision of saying no to God or God's will, which is revealed in God's Word, of course, is setting our heart down a path of hardening, and some of the damage we do could be, could be irreversible. It doesn't have to be, but a hard heart is a hard thing to reverse. And if you've had one before, you know it's not soft and any easy, very easily. From what we read from Scripture, come on, we know we tread a spiritual, we tread spiritual ice to hear the word and reject the word. We know how senseless, how foolish, how dangerous it is. You say, well, Justin, you know, here's what I've never understood. How come, you know, I, I can so much as think about disobeying God and I feel like I'm just, you know, being, been, you know, being tipped over hell. And the world out there, they're just doing what they want to do and they don't seem to pay any consequences. Well, the difference is they have no regard for the Lord and they don't have any consciousness toward the Lord. And that suggests a far da- more dangerous place than we've ever been in. And, and don't be distracted by people that are just so easily into the sin that they follow because that might suggest something far more, far worse than what we've ever faced. Yet so often we turn down the volume rather than turn up the volume. So often we turn away rather than come towards. So often we zoom out rather than zoom in. And I can't stress this clearly enough, not to scare or fearmonger anybody, but so we might understand the importance if... We hear, but do not listen. If we know, yet do not obey. If we see, but do not believe. We are in danger of hard hearts. Hard hearts cause many to miss out on opportunities. They stunt our growth. They cut short our blessings. They desensitize us to sin. I want to run through a few passages that flesh out this, what we see realized in Pharaoh's life. And it'll really help as we study continually over in, in, in the next few weeks. Maybe the most general and clear scripture that helps us understand what, the, what a hard heart can do and how dangerous it is, is what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 28. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. That will fall into, and the idea there is perpetually falling into chaos as if their life is always a mouthstorm of chaos and confusion. And, and, and hear the word there. Blessed is the one who acknowledges the supremacy of, who respects and reveres the sovereignty of, the supreme, the, the supreme place of God. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, but woe unto the one, dangerous is the life or is the place of the one who has a hard heart. And again, we may think we are invulnerable to this. But the very generation that God frees from Egypt because of Pharaoh's hard heart becomes a generation remembered for their own stubbornness, right? For their own hard hearts. The very generation that Moses leads across the Red Sea becomes the generation remembered as hard-hearted people, stiff-necked people. And the book of Hebrews calls back to that generation when it gives us an invitation. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Why is it so important that we hear this today? 
Because if our hearts get hard, we may not even hear the invitation tomorrow. And again, this isn't to scare people, right? This isn't to make somebody think, well, you know, is, that, am I, is my conscience going to be completely shut off? We'll, we'll get to that. But I think it's, more, it's very important, right? To whom much is given, much is required. And we who know and we who hear, we have been given a great, uh, we've been expect, uh, God expects a lot out of His people, right? They, they added years to their journey because they refused to see the plan of God as the right way. They made things unnecessarily difficult for themselves and they made a six-month journey into a 40-year journey. And I just got to say this, not as someone who always practices, but somebody who knows this, and we all know this. We bring avoidable hardships on our lives when we ignore the insight given in Scripture. Isn't that the truth? We bring avoidable grief, avoidable stress, avoidable hardships, right? And I'm not talking about suffering. I'm not talking about things that we go through as Christians, as believers in a world that rejects Jesus. I'm talking about things that we bring on ourselves, things that we bring on ourselves because we know what to do and don't do it. And I'm not just beating up people about certain sins. I'm talking about things that God tells us to do that are healing to our hearts that we just resist. You know, the New Testament gives us a lot of heart commandments, and what I mean by heart commandments, these are not necessarily things that thou shalt not, thou shalt not, or commandments that, hey, don't do this and don't do that because that's dangerous or that's bad or that's sinful. These are commandments that God gives to our hearts that protect our hearts and that heal our hearts or that keep our hearts from getting drugged down by the world. The New Testament gives us commandments like this, that we should trust rather than fear. That when you are afraid, refuse the tendency of your heart to be afraid and trust in the Lord always and pray when you're scared pray that God would take that fear away because he promises that he will trust in the Lord make habits that put your faith in him rather than put fear in you the scripture says that we should trust rather than fear that we're given the commandment that we ought to rejoice rather than complain. That when we're, when we're tempted to just always, always, always you know, be dissatisfied and be discontent with this life and not happy because somebody else has this and they have that and jealousy rises up, the Scripture says rejoice always. Be thankful. Combat jealousy. Combat discontentment. Combat the things that you feel like are not right with your life by thanking God for what is. Listen, in any of us, we are all susceptible to falling down that hole. So combat it with rejoice. Combat it with joy. The Scripture says we ought to forgive, not begrudge. You want to to have a, a, a a, a fast trip to a hard heart? Stop forgiving people. Right? Scripture says forgive, don't begrudge. Forgive always because we're not just forgiving for them, we're forgiving for us, right? Letting go of something. So God can free us. The scripture says that we should be pure. That we should make moral decisions. That we should, make, we should be clean inside and out. Because we're, we're to keep our bodies pure and our minds pure, our hearts pure. Because the opposite is being polluted. And that infects us with a world, right? And it makes us see through the world's lens. And we become desensitized to everything. So watch, or be careful what you watch, what you see, what you take part in. The scripture says we should love rather than hate, Right? Choose to love even when it's so easy to hate. The New Testament says that we ought to give rather than take or rather than keep. 
which is such a hard thing to do in this world, isn't it? Because we live in a world that's all about trying to save as much, trying to take as much. But the Scripture says, combat that notion of greed with generosity. That's just a few things that I think the New Testament gives us clear commandments how we can protect our hearts from getting hard. And if you want a fast trip to a hard heart, do everything in the right-hand column, and you'll get one overnight. New Testament gives clear instruction. The Holy Spirit moves with this instruction that when it comes to God's will, if we fail to rejoice always, forgive always, be pure always, love always, give always, we will find our hearts getting hard by the second. And here's why this is so important. And you all know this, but this is something, especially if you've been there and wore the t-shirt with a hard heart, you know this more than anybody. Our hearts are happy if we obey God. Our hearts will harden if we disobey God. Isn't it true? Our hearts are happy and joyful when we obey, but we become the most unhappy and the most bitter people when we disobey. And our hearts get so hard and they trap those unjoyful, unhappy things in them, don't they? If we harden our hearts to God's Word, we make things harder for us in God's world, right? Because this is God's world, right? And if we choose to not obey God's Word, but we choose to still live in God's world, last time I checked, that's not something we decide, right? That, that if we are alive in this world, it's His. So we make things harder for us. And why is that so important? And if we look around the world, uh, we look at a lot of the people who just don't have any regard for this. We'll see this in their lives and we'll be very uh, aware that our, we could jo- just as easily cross that line ourselves. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds in the, you know, without thinking, right? Without thinking or without having the wisdom that God gives us. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Now, Paul's not saying this arrogantly. He's just saying this is just reality, right? If you, and and I'm not, I don't say this to be mean, but if you ever wonder why the world thinks the way they do about certain things, right? It's because they don't, they, why, why, would, why would they think differently, right? Why would there have any other perspective, and, why, and do we think we are special because we think differently? No, it's because God has given us that kind of insight. Right? It's because we have been saved from that darkened way of life. All the more reason why we should avoid anything that might would harden our heart after we've been given such sort of light. It goes on to say that they have become callous and have been, having given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and impurity, which are things that we could easily fall into if we are not careful. If we fall short of obeying and, and listening. And this is all reflected in two very famous verses. Romans chapter 1, we, we, we've heard this before. God gave them up to a reprobate mind. Reprobate means that God literally handed, hands people over. He says, you know what? You have, you're, you're, you're counterfeit. You, you, don't, you, you claim me, but you don't live like me or don't want anything to do with me. So I'm just going to hand you over to this other way of, of seeing the world and living because clearly that's the way you want it. And then that famous scripture from 1 Timothy that says that their consciences or our consciences can be seared with a hot iron. And, and the Greek there literally is the word cauterize. Deaden spiritual nerve endings. You can't get more clear than that, can you, right? That completely desensitize us to the things and the way 
of God. And I don't, I don't have to get too in your personal life to, 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 to make this point. Haven't you done things? Haven't you seen things? Haven't you took part in things? Aren't there things that you've, you've ignored that God wanted you to pay attention to? Aren't there, aren't there areas of your life where you just drop the ball and you just let it go, you just let things go and, and, and you know that that part of your sensitivity is deadened, isn't it? Words that you say, feelings that you have, things that you repeat, right? And, and if I'm getting a little bit too into touchy areas, I don't mean to, but this is just what happens, right? And if we have a little bit of conviction here, God bless us, right? Because this is help. But aren't there things that we've done and things that we've said and things that we've seen and things that we've continued to be, part, be a part of that we've just kind of accepted and we've just kind of grown desensitized to and we've just kind of quit even believing that we can change? Because we've been cauterized. We've been, we've been numbed there. Don't believe the lie. And if you're alive and breathing, I believe, and if you're in the house of God under the word of God and God's spirit is moving towards you, that means that there's hope. Right? And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying that Satan and every demon from hell might not combat you tomorrow in your attempt and effort to follow the Lord. But there is hope. I hope you believe that, and I want, to, I want to instill that hope in your heart. 2 Corinthians 4, or 2 Corinthians 10 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I'm not saying you can do this on your own. You can't. Okay? Can we, can we agree on that? If we try to do this on our own, we are going to be in worse condition than before. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God. To What does it say? To take down strongholds. Divine power that can conquer the strongholds of sin. Do you believe that's possible? He goes on and he says, We destroy arguments, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. And you, people may say, Well, Justin, that's a little extreme. You know, every thought, come on. You know, maybe Sunday thoughts, right? Every thought. Here's the thing talk to somebody at the end of their life who had every sensitivity to God cauterized and numbed. And they would say, I wish, I wish, I wish I would have known about that scripture. I wish I would have obeyed that scripture. I wish I would have been given confidence about that scripture. So it may seem impossible. It may seem difficult. And maybe you're at a place where you just don't even know if it's even necessary. And come on, Justin. I mean, I'm living pretty good right now. I know I've got some things that I'm a little bit convicted about. But come on, I just don't like to talk about that stuff because that just kind of takes the fun away. At any point where we acknowledge that our current state is not where we want to be, where we need to be, where God intends us being, if we admit that we are not satisfied with impurity and bitterness and greediness and unhappiness, if we cry out with sincerity and admit God's way is best and that we want His help, He can break apart the strongholds. He can soften our hearts. And here's what we're going to encounter. We're going to encounter conviction, aren't we? If His Word brings conviction, it's not God's condemnation. It's His chain-breaking power. right? So if you feel convicted, it's not because God's angry or God's trying to condemn you. I mean, if God wanted to condemn you, He wouldn't even mess around with conviction. He would just snap His fingers, right? I mean, God isn't maniacal, right? He's just and He's holy, but he's not, a, he's not a mad scientist saying, hey, watch this. If He wanted to get rid of us, He would, right? 
And I don't say that arrogantly. I just say that with the reality of what I know about the Lord, which He's pretty holy and perfect. So when we are convicted, it's not condemnation. It is chain-breaking power that can save our lives. The enemy may make you feel guilt, like, like you're being guilt-tripped, but he's actually, God is actually trying to guilt-free and guilt-cleanse you. You've probably heard this before, but the same sun that melts ice can harden mud. God is going to continue to be on display and demonstrate His power, but if we don't respond and react in a humble way, pride may set us in stone, and God forbid that happen. That's why some people cross a line where bad habits become deadly lifestyles. Isolated incidents become dominating circumstances. Thoughts in the back of their minds become theaters in the front of their minds. So if we want to avoid these slow fades into depravity, we need to adopt fast faith. And by fast faith, I mean choose faith no matter what. Trust God even if you don't 100% agree, even if you assume He's holding you back or you don't know if He's got your best in mind. You, we need to, to go ahead and agree ahead of time. He does... Take it from anybody's heart who's been hardened, whose nerves have been deadened, whose life has been wasted. God's way is best. God's way is good. God's way is right. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. Even though our way leads to death, the good news is God's way leads to life. And even better than that, God doesn't just take the roads that are clean and even and find the people that are sitting on the front pews ready to get in. He goes down the crooked and narrow ways into the valleys, into the pits. He visits the people in the waiting room for hell, right? He goes to the people that have been given up on and He says, I know you've already accepted this is where you're going to go and I know you don't think there's a way out, but I'm going to show you that a way out. I'm going to take you out. Right? I mean, isn't that what Jesus did on the cross with the guy next to him? Who There's no repenting when, per, repenting when you're nailed to a cross. There's no, well, I'm going to be different tomorrow. There was no tomorrow for that guy. Jesus visited the waiting room for hell and He said, listen, buddy, if you just trust Me, that's enough. He doesn't stand afar off and cross His arms and say, well, pity on you. He comes close. He moves in. Because what does it say after, after it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart twice? What does God command Pharaoh to do in verse 15? Go to, God command Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning. First thing in the morning, Moses, you go back to Pharaoh to remind him, this doesn't have to be this way. Isn't that awesome? That Pharaoh hardened his heart two verses in a row and God says, okay, Moses, go there first thing tomorrow morning and you're going to repeat the same sermon because I'm not giving up on these people. And I already know how this is going to end. I've seen the future. He's not going to repent. He's not going to believe. He's going to drown in the Red Sea because he's not going to believe me. But that doesn't mean I'm going to change my message. Can you, can you imagine that kind of goodness and holiness of, uh, of the heart of God? That's the gospel, isn't it? We can have a change of heart because God never changes His. Ezekiel made this this promise that God gave Ezekiel. I can give you a new heart. I can put a new spirit in you. I can remove, remove that heart of stone that's hardened and I can give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft, a heart that has a new beginning. Look at verse 15 through 16 real quickly. 
Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him and the rod which you turn to a serpent take with you in your hand. You shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Go ahead and repeat the same sermon because it's not changing. God says to Moses, We're not going to change our plans just because Pharaoh isn't listening. I love this. The good news, this is good news in two ways. For Pharaoh, God is saying, hey buddy, I'm not going to compromise my will just because you're not going to get on board. I'm staying put. Isn't that awesome? God says, I'm not playing, let's make a deal. If he did, it would suggest his ways weren't perfect to begin with. If you get tired of hearing the same thing from God, listen, repent, you know, realize that God gives you the same message because his message has always been the right message. Thankfully, He doesn't change or alter His plans. Hopefully, we will have enough sense and enough grace to repent and come to Him when and if we realize the alternative isn't wise. So God doesn't change His message because God is reliable. He's reliable. He's consistent. He's dependable. He's faithful to His Word. And you know what what is even better about the fact that God does not change His message? He's not hard to find. Even when we've hardened our hearts, He's still open. He's still the same God as He was before. He's not wishy-washy. Isn't that awesome? And listen, for me and you, for us that try to trust the Lord even when it's hard, God is not looking at the world saying, oh no, I better change my plan because they're not getting on board. And I'm sorry, I know y'all have, but hey, i got to change plans. God is not wishy-washy. He doesn't make efforts. He does not make attempts. God doesn't try. He wins. Right? He's always successful. So we can have confidence and God is saying to Moses, listen Moses, we're, not ch- we're staying put. We're staying steady. I know he's not listening, but listen, you just stick with me. We're not changing our message. I know it doesn't look good right now, but just hang on. Notice that God identifies as the God of the Hebrews. God isn't ashamed to be on the losing team. They weren't losing in eternity, but they looked like they were losing, right? This is such good news for me and you. God is not insecure. He's not worried about perception or looks. He is confident in his ability. And this is so important for me. You know, as a pastor, sometimes, you know, you tr- people ask you about your church and, you know, you're going, whether you're, you, know, you have people that stick their chest out and try to make up stuff and make things that they're better than they, all, better than they actually are, right? Pastors get in a room and it's just like, oh Lord, repent of the arrogance and the anti-humility that gets in here, right? And when people, people feel like you got to, you know, kind of embellish or soften the edges, right? And, and, and there is no losing team in the kingdom of God, right? We don't have to worry about what it looks like, right? Or what, you know, the, you know, the pews aren't full or the offerings aren't, right? Listen, we don't have to worry as if things aren't, things aren't secure in God's kingdom, See, sometimes we're in, this, we're in the, the situation or in the category of underdog, right? But you know what we can be reminded of when we're the underdogs? We have a God above all, right? And when we feel like we're falling behind, God says, don't worry, I am above all of this. Pharaoh would have been unimpressed because this God had no authority and no track record track record of success, the God of the Hebrews. I mean, who would want to identify with a bunch of slaves? God seemed like an unknown to Pharaoh. Even to the Hebrews, he was still largely unproven. But here's what I want to say in closing tonight and hopefully encourage you all with. It's often in the unknown 
and through the unknown that God makes Himself the most known. God says to us, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. I'm not intimidated by the worldly powers. You may not know who I am, and they may not know who I am, but just hold on. The whole world is going to find out. In verse 17, by this, what does it say again? What, with that famous refrain, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. So why are we doing all this, Moses? Come on, I want you to get this. Why is all this happening? So that you may know who I am and that they may know who I am. And if y'all stick with me, I won't be ashamed to be your God and you won't be disappointed with, this, with the outcome. Verse 18 and 19, the fish that are in the river shall die, or it says there before, strike the river that is in your hand, that they shall be turned to blood, the water. The fish that are in the river will die, the river will stink, the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the, the, in, in the, the cracks of the wood and the rocks, wherever moisture is, it's going to become blood. The Nile was assumed to be the source of life for the Egyptians. It was the foundation for society and prosperity for the ancient world. The, you know, why did the Jews go to Egypt during the famine? Because the Nile River was the source of life even during the hardest of times. God was sending a message. We cannot let anything of this world rival Him. So God went straight to the source of life in Egypt and He cut it off. He literally put death in the fountain of life. Let's read this in closing, verse 20. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river. Inside of Pharaoh, inside of his servants, all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. The Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land. And this is really silly. The magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Why would you do that, right? They went and found water and they turned the blood too. But that's what they were trying to match the power, right? Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into the house, into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. Can you imagine that? Neither was his heart moved by that. So all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. When we turn from God's way, we find ourselves burnt out, run down, and empty sooner rather than later. But if we trust in Him, we will be sustained by Him. And we won't have to argue against our enemies. He will do that for us. It's hard not to argue, isn't it? It's hard not to panic and worry. We just need to lift up our staffs. We just need to lift up His Word. And we need to trust His way. You rarely, if ever, find Moses interjecting. Rarely does Moses ever say, well, God said this, but I have, to, I have this to say. Moses said, you know what? I'm just going to stick to the master's plan because he knows what he's doing. Wouldn't we be better off if we did that? <laughs> Psalms 46, I think, closes this better than I can. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So if that's true, why would we deviate from God's plan? I bet Moses felt pretty funny there, right? Striking the water and everything turning to blood and everybody looking at him like he was crazy, making everybody have no water to drink. But he simply did what God told him to do because he had determined there was no better way. And he could see in Pharaoh's heart the alternative was no way at all. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this good word, this awesome word from heaven tonight. God, I want to ask that if there's anybody's heart that is even a tenth hard because of unforgiveness, because of immorality, because of just sinfulness of some kind, because of impurity from the world, because of anxiety, because of fear. I don't know what, my God, you know what's in my heart, and you know it's more than 10% hard. So, Father, whatever it is that's hardening our hearts, Lord, may a breakthrough from heaven bring the water of life that would soften us and release us and free us. Father, help us to, to be thankful that you don't change your message. You stay where you're at, and you wait for us to realize that there's no better alternative. Father, thank you that you're dependable and that you're consistent and that we can hide behind the cleft of the rock and be safe no matter what. God, I don't know what all the needs are tonight that may be present in the hearts of your people, but Lord, may you keep us humble and help us to believe no matter what that your way is best and that in the end, by sticking with your word in your way, we will have more than enough. That you will not be ashamed to be called our God and that we won't be disappointed with where you take us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.